0: Welcome. in terms wait, of wait, phrases
1: wait, wait. like um John is something
0: that is said. It's a noun. It's a person, place, or thing. So this, for example, is a John. These papers are a John. This table is a John. This place is a John. I mean, it means anything. It's a noun. So literally everything is a John. A John? A John, yeah. Spell it. J-W-N. John. John. Okay, John. John. All right.
1: (laughs) Very good. We're learning lots of stuff. (laughs) Uh, So I would be able to say, that's a lovely John you're wearing.
0: You would. Okay. And you could also say, of me, you could say, who's that John in the John? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, ho ho! that blows him in the air. That's that John that you on.
0: Welcome um, to... Uh, did you have something else to no. can I do this? You can do it now.
1: Oh, wait, one more thing. Wait, no, wait. No. okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <one more laughs> Let's make fuck in
0: with you. You're so funny, babe. I know. Well, welcome to the Interracial Jump Podcast. I'm your host, Lossie Mack, and I'm joined as always...
1: By an obnoxiously very white guy. And you
0: are very <laughs> white indeed. What is going on? You know...
1: Life. Life. We we podcast in two weeks in a row. Can you bell for that? Ding
0: Yeah, that's a good ding. We're doing
1: this gym thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We we started boxing, which has been I feel. Yeah, you you feel? You feel it? You feel it. Well, yeah. uh welcome if this is your first time joining us. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher. Radio just search Interracial John. That's J A W and you can go to our website, interracialjohn.com. dot com. We're also on all of the social media platforms at interracial john and we do love to hear back from all, all of you listeners all 10 of you um you can leave us a review on itunes or stitcher and we'll be sure to uh acknowledge that you can also email us interracial at gmail.com you can leave us a voicemail 657 john or 657 j-a-w-n-e-r-s and uh, i don't think we have any f- reviews or voicemails but i think we've got something
1: oh yeah? yeah don't you have something to play oh what are you saying to us <sighs> i'm a little bit bu- it's 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 not the right time of day we're we're out of out of pocket. I don't even have that queued up. Man, what the fuck are you saying to us? <laughs> Thank you, Van.
0: Uh, we do have one email. Uh, this is from Allegra. Hello, YouTube. I was listening to you talk about your health now that you're over 40. And I heard Drew mention issues with drinking coffee. This is mm. anecdotal, but I keep hearing this problem come up with people in their late uh 30s, early 40s, I have had um the same experience. A suggestion would be to switch up the roast. Try going for lighter roast coffees like Costa Rica, Nicaraguan, Kenyan or the like. The dark roasts tend to be harsher because they are roasted longer and the oils of the beans are almost roasted out. Like anything that is cooked too long, it's harder to consume slash digest. My second suggestion would be the method of brewing. If you two are into crafty stuff and DIY, I've seen your trap food picks, Leslie. <laughs> yeah hilarious. Then you might uh, consider buying yourself a V60 carafe. I would strongly um, suggest going to your local crafty cafe and asking uh, for a pour over of a light roast or medium roast coffee and just try a small quantity. Pay attention to the brew methods. Baristas, um, if it's a good cafe, love talking coffee. So ask questions as you probably figured. I've been a barista on and off (sighs) for over 10 years and um, have Having to relearn how to drink and enjoy coffee when your body changes is challenging, but cool if you like learning new things. Anyways, I hope this helps and good luck. There is some exciting stuff going on in the world of coffee. Y'all are awesome. Thanks, Allegra.
1: Yeah, thank you, Allegra. That's very uh, helpful. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because like pour over, cold brew, yeah. you know, carafes, French presses, all the different things you can do. That that should be right up my alley. Like I'm usually like kind of bougie and if it's like- True. If it involves like more- like accoutrement that can be pretentiously used. Like yeah, that's, that's all you're investing that's, that's, that's your that's wheel. My home. lane. That's okay. my lane. So you'd think I'd be all about the like the the like I, I guess I call it like this like I don't know artisanal craft coffee yeah. stuff. Because yeah. we were in Grand Rapids, it was fucking like. <laughs> bonkers i've yeah. never seen more coffee places the pour overs the like and when i say the pour overs there was a place where you could go and they'd literally give you like a fucking scale and a little like a oh, scoop yeah. a so little, you could like weigh how many yeah how many grams of ground it was one in, that had like coffee temperature. Made with butter
0: like i don't know it was a lot
1: it was a lot it but so lot. i i never got into that um in part because i think i don't know at some point the like enjoyment and maybe I should. This is a good try. Maybe. Thank you. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll try some of this stuff out. But I, I just do the Nespresso machine. I have like a little... Actually, I don't even drink coffee. I drink espressos. Uh, but part of what I was talking about last time was caffeine was the mm. first issue. Yeah. But I'm having some gut issues. And I definitely moved to a, a lighter roast uh, a couple of years ago just from the acidity in my stomach. Uh, but I haven't tried other alternate methods. And maybe the espresso is not the, the best for... Acidic yeah, gut health. Was, you know, whenever we're in Jamaica, the Blue Mountain coffee. Oh, well, it's, that's
0: like the super non-acidic. Yeah, I
1: I can d- drink that shit by the gallon and have no issues at all.
0: Yeah, there is. I did read this thing. You know, we were dealing with your surgery and everything. That coffee actually speeds up the return of bowel function. Yeah. So it's definitely not something you should be staying away from because of your health issues. But I think there's a lot going on. So maybe just yeah. finding like the right way. Well, and
1: so when I I, yeah. I I definitely first was caffeine. I had to like adjust how I intake caffeine. Yeah. And uh, and then secondarily, just coffee, you know, does something to your gut. But Mm -hmm. I don't drink it every day anymore. I've had to cut back some. Yeah. Mm, I'm not like disappointed by it, but not occasionally. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh man, I kind of miss coffee. Do you?
0: I hate coffee so. Just for the for you the record, you don't
1: even like the flavors. So I don't I even it. like
0: coffee ice cream, y'all, and I mean it sincerely. I, I just think it's gross. Coffee. I don't like I, it. Literally, usually when you brew it, I wake up and I'm like, "Does somebody poop in here?" Do like you, <laughs> do it you It smells me, bad. You ask me, me
1: like, did you shit? I'm like, no, I made a cup of coffee. I took a shit. Yeah, it's, my, it's literally like fucking <laughs> poop roast. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll do one of these pour over cold brew type things and see if it. Has any impact? Let's see. Um, what
0: else is going on? Well, I'm going to a summer camp this week, which I'm kind of excited about. Get your bell for that. Yay! It's called um, Happy Black Woman Summer Camp. I haven't, I know Happy Black Woman's like a, a brand that they do events all over the place. Um, the woman that runs it, uh, I haven't gone to any of theirs and I kind of took a leap when I um, signed up to go to this. It's five days. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it'll be really a great time to get my my head together for the fall. I have a lot of stuff coming up, a lot of work coming up. And yep. um, there's, like, workshops that are included that include, like, goal setting and self-care. And then, like, in the evenings, we do, like, fun stuff. There's, like, a pajama party and a talent show. And then there's, like labyrinth walks and also what i was really excited about too is that even though they have all this stuff like they don't pressure anybody if you just want to be in the mountains and hike in the daytime like you can do that too so i'm i'm excited i'm excited to meet some new people i'm actually driving with um one of the attendees that lives here in charlotte as well shout out to them thank you for that so uh yeah i'm excited i don't know anybody that's going and that's also very exciting to me because
1: people yeah that would be nervous to me I'd be yeah. like, yeah, I would. You've done that a few other times, where like you're just like, yeah, I don't know anybody. I'm just gonna go. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> that's kind of like a big commitment to not know nobody. But yeah, not.
0: you know, it's worked out so far for me. And actually, you know, it's gotten to this weird thing. I think I've talked about this maybe a little bit on the show before, but I don't know. There's this weird thing that people interact with me, or. Who know of me but don't know me personally. And then they meet me and they act weird. So I'm excited. I don't think any of these people know anything about me (laughs) or anything. So it'll be great.
1: Can you use like a camp pseudonym?
0: No, I'm not using a pseudonym. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But I am excited about that. Um, Of course, uh, this week also had some sad news. Um, My fave uh, Aretha Franklin passed away, which was really sad. Um, So it's been, you know, sad to come to terms with that she was such a force not just in music and I'm playing Daydreaming which is my all time favorite um, Aretha song um, uh, you know just her impact not just in music but in the world she was such a force and supporter of black liberation work from her earliest years you know she Uh, was directly involved in the civil rights movement. You know, you're talking about somebody who held history that started with Mahalia Jackson and went all the way through today. And so, um, I think it's a big loss as to, to, uh, to lots of, lots of folks. Um, I'm gonna share one article. I've actually, if if, there's a thread I have on Twitter where I actually just shared a bunch of, uh, articles written by Black women about Aretha, but this one's by my girl Naima, who does music sermon every Sunday, and it's uh, uh, basically twelve performances that explain her long reign as uh, the Queen of souls So it kind of walks you through her f- full history and a bunch of performances, which was really nice to see. So R.I.P. Rest in peace, Aretha. Thank you so much for you know for everything, really.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I I appreciate you sharing only. Uh, black women's opinions and takes.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, I was interested to hear what they had to say, especially black women that live in Detroit, live in Michigan. I think she has such a cultural impact there um, on, on the scene and uh, was so still involved. She didn't, she she still lived in Detroit. I just think she just never, she just went hard for the D, so I appreciated that also. A nice. so Shout out to her. What do you got going on? Uh, you know,
1: like we said, we're, we're doing this boxing thing that's been kind of a something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it has been
1: something. Muscles that are like, the fuck are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Uh, it's my busy time. I'm doing that, that thing I do every year for work. Uh, and i i told you, I, I was on, uh, living corporate podcast and, and talked a little bit about like, I don't have a lot of opportunity to like make decisions, but this event is one like who I get to have as right. a speaker, as a presenter. And I'm again really thrilled. I've got, uh, multiple black women, two black women, um couple other Latinx women of color, uh, a differently abled uh, individual that be doing a session on sign language, which nice. is kind of new yeah. for us in our audience. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, it's nice. And, I, and it's we're coming up on, I think it's not quite a decade I've been doing this thing, but it'll be almost there. a decade. Yeah, I think it's like and, nine years uh, or something. I, I don't know. I just, something about it always, it's like, I don't say it's our baby, but we built it together. Yeah. And uh, I remember pitching it <laughs> and the boss was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No one's gonna go to it. That's stupid. Uh don't do it. No one's gonna do that. And then the 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 boss above that, uh a boss ultimately said, Well, I believe in you, but I don't believe in this project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh didn't didn't set foot to it until like, I don't know, ten thousand people had registered. Yeah, literally. But so I just I think it's kinda of interesting like Nobody wanted to do it, believed in it, and that's an awful lot of privilege I had to be able to push it through. But I love it, and the the folks that uh, engage with the content I always love it. It's a a labor of love, you know. I'll probably put together fifty hours of video content. Right, it'll be consumed by I don't know, lots of lots of people. Well, I
0: think it was very cutting edge when we when we put yeah, when we originally put was. it together. You know, there wasn't a lot of online events. Happening for sure we kind of piecemeal Things the, f- the first year we actually outsourced Everything in yeah. the second year we really Took on a lot of the pieces ourselves and uh, Learned some different systems and so it was Interesting to even conceptualize Like how do you bring sure. the spirit Of a conference right into a, a Digital um, space I think it's much More normalized now obviously Well and what we people do people are used to like learning Online yeah, and yeah. doing and interacting online In very different ways so I mean this even is, the
1: Thing is just it's evolved completely as the Technology has but yeah. it went from i don't know it was like 40 grand that first year yeah. and we were probably cash neutral i had sponsors and stuff mm-hmm. which is again you know pretty awesome on my part really it. but uh now i don't think it costs uh maybe it's 10 grand plus labor mm. you know yeah uh maybe with when you count the because now i pay people right. i used to get speakers to do stuff for like exposure for free and i mm-hmm. actually pay them yep well yeah yeah, So I'm excited. I like it. Uh, it's, I've gotten <laughs> each year. I think my goal has been to, like you said, advance sort of the technology. And, and that's for me and that I would say to listeners, if you're at a job that gives you the, the latitude to learn, that's a, that's a benefit. Yeah. I think of that as something like not as good as pay, but like professional development that I can take outside of this company. Uh, I, I value that greatly. Mm-hmm. And for me, just as an individual, I I enjoy learning more than doing like the same rote tasks over and over and over again kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So I've always pushed myself and I think with each year, it's like, "Ah, how can I do it with less work? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How can I like automate this, streamline that? So it's been kind of fun. Um, What else was I going to talk to you about? Oh, that article. I don't think we put it on the thing, but we shared it. I shared it. It was like seven signs. You have a toxic parent. And, uh, not you, Val. We love you. (laughs) I know my mom doesn't listen to the show, but it was, there's some stuff there. Unpack, and then the other thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, and again didn't put on the show notes so I meant to talk to you about it like two weeks ago when we watched it mm. real sports and i I do like real sports I, I don't dislike the show I think they do a pretty good job yeah, I like that's all right some of this uh, Soledad does some good work and you know like, occasional piece Gumble does like he doesn't get really getting that involved he's sort of like the moderator thing uh-huh. uh but anyway the the show had a piece on free diving and I forget the nation they were in do you remember what? pacific island it was like a small actual island in the kind of you know middle of nowhere type thing but so free diving is this i'm put air quotes around the word sport um it's a thing that primarily wealthy white folk do uh, and they've turned it into a sport. Cause you know, their lives aren't dangerous enough. enough. They've turned it into a sport to kind of like compete against each other in other ways and stuff. But so the, the the sport is to take one single breath and take as deep a dive as you possibly can. And the reason to do that is because if you're using scuba and you're taking breaths deep underwater, the oxygen gets uh, compressed and that's why you get, you have to like do a decompression on your way up or you get the bends. Right. But with one breath, You don't have that issue Right So like Normally like If you were to say like Oh I I did a scuba dive And I went to 100 feet Like well that's a pretty deep dive Mm -hmm. Like 100 feet is like Really deep dive You had to do a safety stop At like 50 and 40 And 15 feet and shit Whereas these dudes Are taking one huge Or women Taking one big big breath Mm. And they're taking a device A a weight That's going to propel them deep down underwater Mm. and they're going to go as far down as they can with this weight, holding their breath 200 feet or more. Then they're going to use a, another system, like a air propelled type deal to rocket them back up to the surface, hopefully safely. Right. And so they're doing this like competition. Again, I'm putting air quotes, you know, it's like the world free dive, whatever. So they fly out to, you know, Micronesia and they're going to all dive. And so people are, they're setting records for their nation. Like, Oh, it's the deepest dive ever from someone from Panama that, mm. that you know of that is white and you recorded it here at this event with some things and like people are passing out like literally like passing out in the water they're like, yeah we had a couple of blackouts yesterday so they're again I have to find it for the notes and I'll put it in the actual notes but this small little island nation where they're having this dive again air quotes contest yeah is a a group of indi- individuals indigenous folks that have been basically using Diving, deep diving, and mm-hmm. spear fishing yep. to survive for multiple generations. Yeah, like, like you know, a century. Yeah, yeah. literally, yeah. like literally. you know, eight, nine, 100 ten generations, hundred years. 100 year. Yeah, and they're like some diving motherfuckers. <laughs> like, so this dive dude's like, "Well, we're doing the competition. We're hearing any of these people. We hear about these folks that die for a living. Let me go hang out with them. Check them out. And then, you know what? Let's bring the equipment. Let's do a a fucking test thing of a bobber." So they get like. The twelve best divers from this village—they bring it out there, fucking like nine or ten of them, bottom out at two thirty because the fucking ocean floor, like broke all the records, beat everyone. Like if the if the twelve tribesmen had gone to this contest, they would have taken first through eleventh place. You know what I mean? It was like, it was absolutely ridiculous, and it it reminded me a little bit of that, like you know, uh, did white people really invent anything, or they just sort of like. Take shit and claim it. Like what? It, like what? Do we always say that white people's biggest invention is the patent and copyright trade enforcement office. Do,
0: I don't say white people, but I do say white America,
1: or actually, like America. That's it's only. Well, I'd i I'd, 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 I'd expand that to westernized, you know, yeah. westernized I don't, white I don't know
0: the details of how they do patents in other countries, so. Uh, well, I can't, they have. very similar to that. Oh, okay, similar. I don't know anything about all that, but I do know that here. In these here United States, that for sure, the patent office is the most American and probably the only – the and definitely, from, in my opinion, the only white invention because, you know, they had to figure out a way to legally steal people's intellectual property. So
1: – Yeah. But so, yeah, like, you know, all these people claiming they're the, the best diver from this place, this place, that place. But here's a group of people that they can't afford to fly to your competitions. They're never going to go to your fucking things. They're not going to have sponsors from fucking – you know, and but these white people are getting sponsors like they, there's there's an ad like a tag who or watch in outdoor magazine with a fucking world free diving, whatever, but like are you really world are you though I don't know, and they didn't they didn't get farther into it, but I thought it was very interesting,
0: yeah, I think it was the thing that was interesting is like the um the piece went into like the physiological like you know kind of like the Sherpas in um Tibet yeah, yep. that these um these uh, was indigenous it the folks gallbladder? had gallbladder yeah their gallbladder had adjusted so that this is why they were able to free dive so easily um because it's a way of life and they had like literally when they were filming like little kids just yeah, like this yeah, is just yeah. part of how they how they grow up and so um what was what was interesting was when um this dude came and like had them like they had this quote, I'll put quote. Like they had a world record of free diving, and then like the first um fisherman that dove in from the indigenous folks that went down blew it out of the water. Yeah. So it go. Th- the thing that was interesting to me is this notion of like world record. Like exactly. We only have like the only yardstick is like when white people do shit. That's
1: exactly what I, I was getting at. Yeah. Driving at you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy that, that this was made a a sport and it's been monetized and, and, you know, call it gentrified, but these folks, it's been a way of life. And, and I would say like, uh, almost sadder, like pin on the, on the story is that the, the folks that from this village fish on the, uh, sea floor, they catch all kinds of different things, but then sell it at market and buy like lesser quality fish to feed their family.
0: Yeah. So they're not
1: even like fishing. Like it's a it's a capitalistic commercial like thing, but it's like it's just the whole thing was weird.
0: But well, the weird other part was I was like, because I said to you, I was like, oh well, if they're making money off of these dives, like maybe these indigenous folks can start like sending people, and then they actually address that in the piece. And the the local folks were like, nah, they don't tell us when they're holding them. They they don't let us um you know compete. Yep. And all of this stuff, so they're excluding them from this because they know that they'll literally be blown out of the water. None of, none of these white folks will win again, and they have like sponsors and I, all of this I shit. It's like disturbing you, to me. I guarantee
1: you, if they're was let's just go fast forward 20 years and and hypothetically assume and pretend and hope that some uh, individuals from this village are now at the the top of the free dive podiums right Mm -hmm. there'll be some sort of like uh gallbladder test (laughs) your gallbladder can't be bigger than this there'll be a gallbladder fucking like you know what i mean they'll find a way to differentiate an other these mm. individuals and say, well, you're not really part of the competition because your gallbladder is too big. It's, it's a unnatural enhancement despite the fact that you've been, you know, living this way for centuries. Mm. And they'll find a way to exclude them. The same way that they talked about Serena having additional testosterone when she was quote unquote, uh, pre- not, quote, when she was pregnant and competing. Like that, that was some sort of advantage. Like, fuck out of here
0: yeah definitely like not
1: yeah they'll they'll keep them away as long as they can, mm-hmm. and then once that that entry is then in, they'll be like oh, they'll this isn't find a way to invalid them. not just
0: invalidate them. them, I think it'll become a like it just they'll they'll lose interest in it all of a sudden because they can't win, it won't be important anymore.
1: Or it'll be something like, well, now the thing that matters is free dives on all seven continents and yes. oceans, and oh my you, God. you know what I mean. It'll be something You'll like hit
0: it right on the head. It's That's really, literally what it'll be. Yeah, it'll be like you have to do it on a mountain yeah, or some shit. Yeah. That you know you have to be rich and sponsored to to partake in. Anyways,
1: Well, I know we were trying to have a, a quick show, and I, I think we've gone along. That's- we have, but that was before. Anyway.
0: Ah, I'm going to see you in a couple weeks. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's good. I got lipstick on. I got lipstick on. Mm-hmm. So uh,
1: 1968 created the ultimate anti sport sport. Mm. Okay. Uh, in the summer of 1968, Jared Cass was working at a camp for high school students in Massachusetts. He decided to teach the kids his dorm a game that he'd learned at Amherst College when he was a student. I remember I was just running and leaping for a pass at the Frisbee, said Cass, who's now a professor of psychology at Lesley University in Boston. And I jumped up in the air and I had one of these moments of just sheer synchrony where the disc just made it right into my hand at the perfect moment. I didn't know that we were creating a game. That was going to go on To have a life of its own But that's exactly what happened Where's uh, where's our friend Kenny?
0: Yeah I know I, I guess this for you Kenny too
1: <laughs> 50 years later Millions of people play Ultimate Yikes. As it's known these days In college amateur And professional leagues Wait a minute Is a professional Ultimate League? Oh yeah for sure Around the world mm-hmm. The game combines elements Of soccer, basketball And football Instead of a ball Of course players use A flying disc Gliding through the air The players aren't allowed To run with the disc So each team tries to score By passing the disc Across a field Until they reach the end zone But in some ways Ultimate is not like other team sports. The game has a kind of honor system called the spirit of the, game. spirit of the game. And you can trace that way back to the counterculture of 1968 when the players started out officiating the games themselves. At that summer camp in Massachusetts, Jared Cass says the games got intense. Players jostling for the disc. They were looking to him to be the referee. But Cass didn't want to be a figure of authority. Mm -hmm. At the time, he was suspicious of authority figures of all kinds. My own sort of internal processing of what was wrong with competitive sports and what was wrong with society sort of coalesced, he said. I don't know why that's what I thought I sounded like, but that's his voice. And I said to (laughs) no man, I am not going to be the referee here. You guys have to call the fouls on yourself. When the summer ended, Cass went on to his senior year of college and didn't think about the Frisbee game again for decades story came to light years later in the book, Ultimate, the first four decades. But the game made a big impression on one of the kids from the summer camp. He took it back to home to Jersey, where he started playing with his friends and creating a rule book. That kid was Joel Silver, the Hollywood producer who's better known for his work on blockbuster movies like 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, and Die Hard. Really? Mm-hmm. We owe Ultimate to the- Joel Silver. Director of Die Hard
0: Yeah That's okay. funny So Silver was on the student council At Columbia High School In Maplewood, New Jersey People, You may or may not know this uh, But Columbia High School Is one of the like Top ranked high schools In the country Has been for decades um, I think Zach and, Braff went there In things or in Ultimate? Uh, not in in Ultimate In all things Okay It's one of those Like super elite public schools um, I have a bunch of friends That it went makes there Makes sense Jill uh, yeah, like Zach Braff went there. A bunch of other like super famous people went there as well. Actually, a lot of famous people and a lot of Olympians also came, came out of there. But, um, and Maplewood is like so, so, so wealthy. Uh, but it, apparently Columbia High School had what became the first game of Ultimate, uh, uh, between the student council and the staff, uh, the school newspaper staff. I just thought it was interesting to think through like how things evolve. And like, I, I didn't know this history of Ultimate, but, I know it's very widespread. People play all over the place. Um, I know it's like a super white sport. But just thinking that it came through a high school, I thought was really interesting and from a summer camp because I don't think it's ever positioned that way, that it's like youth driven. Um, Most of the people I know that played are like older dudes for the most part that like picked it up in college and then like kept playing it. Um uh, so see, I just thought that was interesting. So I,
1: I grew up in the, you know, 70s, early 80s. And in my recollection was really more of a like definitely like played in the parking lot of high schools played like in the sand on the beach kind of thing like Mm -hmm. it wasn't a sport like you didn't have intramural leagues but when I got to college um, I don't even think ultimate there was probably like intramural leagues for everything softball football touch flag football all kinds of shit but I don't remember ultimate but maybe that's just because I didn't Seek it out
0: or maybe it wasn't popular Where you were I'm sure there's pockets of it That are popular in different places Um, But it is you know uh, Recognized by the International Olympic Committee I know that there's been a push to get it put into the Olympics as a team sport Um, Which is the World Flying Disc Federation that's who holds the like professional Level of it there's okay. 65 member associations In 62 countries the world Flying, And Disc they do have thing. a world championship um, That they hold so that So that's really interesting also Mm-hmm all right, and yeah.
1: Ultimate. and Ultimate. Uh, we have a, a disc golf course outside our home, like literally like quarter mile away, walking distance. Yeah. And uh, I have a couple of Frisbees. I'm going to have to actually try it out.
0: Yeah. So. Um, is that me? No, that's me. I just declined it. Uh, <laughs> so this is a, just a trigger warning right now. I going to talk about two stories that um, involve uh, sexual abuse of children and just kind of. A general conversation around this two stories that came out this week one i'm sure most people have heard the catholic priest abuse a thousand children in pennsylvania report says um this is just one more uh you know quote unquote sex scandal uh within uh the catholic church and i've been really thinking about this uh, for those who don't know i was raised catholic uh, my grandmother was catholic i you know went through all of the <laughs> the various things i have my confirmation my communion uh you know all the things and uh, drew you also were raised catholic yeah and so it's been interesting not interesting but uh, you know i've really been thinking about the the weight of these um i wouldn't even call them revelations but these truths that have come out um Mm. to folks that are catholic um and this is not people that are within the system of of catholicism but practicing catholics uh folks that that believe in in this faith and what what this does to your faith um i uh, i read a twitter thread yesterday of a woman who was at church and had this really emotional exchange between the priest who was um talking about uh, one of the things that has allowed these situations to occur is that there has been a systemic over the decades um, decrease of power within lay lay leadership within Catholicism, and that it's it's just taken away a check and balance that used to be significant in the context of uh, the life of a congregation. And, I'm
1: sorry, I make sure I understand. You're meaning a decrease in lay and a, and a concentration of power in the diocese. Correct. Okay
0: and um so this is a priest talking about this and about how you know in his opinion for change to come to the faith it's going to be a radical lay led you know mm. movement and uh a gentleman an older gentleman um the priest said this was part of his homily he sat down and as he sat down um an older gentleman in the congregation stood up and said but like with tears rolling down his face and and you know she she said it was really emotional as soon as he got up it was emotional this isn't this is a very unusual thing to have happen in a catholic service generally speaking um that's that's not it's not a call and response type of uh, religion um and so it made me just start thinking about you know, how do you reconcile this if this is your faith belief structure? And I think this is something to think about in the context of lots of other institutions that folks believe in, whether it's educational systems, whether it's academia, whether it's, you know, media systems, whether it's whatever, whatever institution that you have put your faith, trust and, um, you know, and support behind when they fail you. What, what do you do with that? You know, where where do you go? And I, I've just been really thinking about it. You know, I know. You know, as a Black Unitarian Universalist, we've been, as a group, uh, Black Lives of You, you've been confronting white supremacy within our faith. And most of it came out of us being pretty close to just washing our hands of it completely. And I suspect that there are lots of Catholics who have done the same and probably even more. I do know that there has been a um, a call, I think like 13,000 um Catholic religious professionals and lay leaders have uh, called for the um, all bishops in the United States to resign um, as a way of uh, attempting to start start something different, um, especially in the structure of power. I don't know how how far that's going to get. I know that they are taking their cue from um, Chilean Catholics who made the same demand when a similar um story came out there, and all thirty four of their bishops resigned at once um based on on that demand. Um, I don't know. I just think it's really difficult, and obviously, you know this is a horrible. Abuse of power, um, on so many levels. And I think that that's, I think, what hurts the most, which is that it's not just the perpetrators of this abuse that, um, are at fault, but this is abuse that could have been stopped.
1: I mean, let's, let's use I statements, right? You said we're both raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. Neither of us identify as Catholic, Mm -hmm. uh, presently. I don't think either of us identify, I, I didn't identify as Catholic probably into college, right. Mm. You know, immediately after high school CCD every summer, yeah. every Sunday um, definitely was like, okay, I don't want to go to church anymore. Um, and I, I don't want to say that cause I, I left, I think organized faith and theology generally. So, but still these revelations, cause there was Boston archdiocese yeah. now it's the Pennsylvania, yep. you know, there has been more than a few. Um, it's, I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's made me distance myself more, mm. but so I like becoming, going back to church and becoming a UU, I just becoming, realizing there was an organized, uh, faith based religion that held some of the same belief systems that, that you and I did as sort of quote unquote secular humanists was like, Oh, well, there's other people that, you know, ascribe to this and they have this. Oh my God. The first, you know, the seven principles and hopefully an eighth principle. Like these are things that I really kind of like found resonated with me. But the thing that surprised me was this, like, Oh, I really missed. Kind of ritual and I missed kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a ritualistic kind of thing that I do every Sunday to yeah. center myself spiritually. I missed some of those things. Um, and I think seeing more and more of these revelations, it kind of just, it, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I feel more against the, the diocese of the Catholic Church. Um, but it's, it's a strange duality that I, I think fundamentally most organized religion is, is, fuck ass and not good. Um, But then I'm a part of an organized faith-based religion as a UU. Yeah.
0: And, you know, I think two things. One is that I don't, I don't think that this, um, Issue and situation is unique to Catholicism. I think that no. there are many, um, you know, inappropriate, um, and damaging abuse happening, um, in organized religion, generally speaking. When we talk about the ways that patriarchy play out in these, um, these settings, it, it, it tends to become abusive just by definition and, uh, people will prey on the, on folks, you know, and abuse of power is a real thing. Uh, but I do think that the, the systemic nature of it is, is unique to Catholicism. Um, It's not just individual, uh, you know, congregations or communities. This is a widespread cover up system that has gone on for, you know, decades and decades here in the United States and and in other countries as well. I know in Ireland they've had similar, um, you know, moments that they've had to to reconcile with as well. I just think it's really, I've really been thinking about um, not just the victims, but also about Catholics and how how they are going to reconcile this with their faith belief structure. I don't think it's something that's going to be easy to do. Um, and, uh, I don't, I, I hope that that becomes part of the conversation because I think, uh, without that, I don't, I I just think people are going to be left without the things that they need to, to heal, um, as communities as well. And so i hopeful. I hope that that's something that folks are talking about. Um,
1: yeah and you you on a larger scale this sort of systemic and a larger basis and you know there's definitely uh, i'll be interested to see how institutionally they handle you know catholicism as a faith handles Mm -hmm. um not just the perpetrators um but those that that enabled it you know there's people Mm -hmm. that are culpable and you can say to what degree you know how much this or that but there's a lot of people that knew a lot of things yep. and just you know were quiet, or the structure didn't allow them to have a voice, or speaking up you know was had punitive. Well, I think that that
0: therein lies, I think, the thing that Catholics really have to confront, which is this notion of um, how priests are untouchable within the context of the faith, and is that something that is in alignment with their faith belief system anymore? Um, and if it's not, then that's something that as a as a faith community, they're going to have to wrestle with. Yeah. Or is it, um, or is it the li- infallibility of a priesthood?
1: I might say, is it and not only you asked, is it in alignment with their faith and principles? Is it alignment with modern societal conventions of, uh, you know, authority figures and, uh, you know, having a, a check and balance system?
0: Yeah. Well, I think therein lies the the. I think I think religion is one of those things that people tend to say, well, you can believe, you know, if you believe something that that's not something that should be questioned. Right. You have the right to believe whatever you want to. Um, I guess that's where I think the responsibility piece comes in, because if you as a faith community are, if your belief structure is what holds up abuse,
1: what do you do? Well, and so the person asked how, right? How does this how do you I'm going back a bit the if it's going to be a lay led call it revolution it's going to change this any faith catholicism Mm -hmm. you whatever it is yeah um i kind of feel like it's going to be done with with your physical presence right like you said you were at the point you meaning black Unitarian universalists many were at the point like you know i'm out you know i just i can't be in these spaces anymore because they're they're harming me because they're they're not good for black folk yeah and this is sort of the same kind of mm-hmm Yeah. If people, if people voted with their bodies and they just didn't go to that church, if they started saying, which church is this and what oversight does it have and what sort of, is there a check and balance and how do, how do we know about this person or that person? Because they're, they're handling important things like our kids' minds and stuff. Um, but do you have that choice with the Catholic Church? There's and only I, so and many I, churches. And I, and
0: I think that that's, that's, uh, you know, that's where I feel like the structure itself is going to have to change in such a fundamental way. And I think it has to change for lots of reasons, not just because this community will need it to change for healing to take place, but also because quite frankly, religions die all the goddamn time. And, um, you know, when you talk about, uh, structure within, I, I just know me growing up, like some of the best high schools in, Plenty of communities we lived in were Catholic high schools, yeah, and now Philly, for you, sure. you see nothing but closed Catholic schools because nobody wants to send their children into environments that would be yeah. detrimental. Arch- to Archbishop
1: Ryan was a big; it still is a big school. And I wonder—you're probably right. You could look at their attendance.
0: So I, I think those are the things that I think that they they have to grapple with, and I, I only mentioned in this context because I think a lot of times um, th- those you know kind of uh, additional. Um, Repercussions to to uh, these abuse um, action, abusive actions by people tend to not be talked about too much. And then the other thing that came up was the Hotchkiss School, which is a boarding school in Connecticut, uh, had their uh, sexual misconduct report come out. They had an independent report that was done. Um, you know, uh, for, for those who have been listening to this show for a while, I went to a boarding school I'm Emma Willard School, and we had a similar um, situation uh, and report that came out about my school, things that went on when I was there, before I was there, after I left there. Um, and it's been really – honestly, it's just been one school after another, these same revelations. And I, I bring it up in the context of the Catholic school because uh, – the Catholic scandal because I think that there is a direct correlation in terms of Agreed. this – um, Insulation, it, it, isolation and 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 uh, power structure that continually um, abuses uh, abuses of power are allowed to take place um, you know this report I thought was really good mostly because it was independent it was not the school was not uh, it wasn't done by lawyers um, you know uh, uh that work for the school which gives them a specific You know, uh, way of talking about it and, uh, motivation. Um, and so this, this was a pretty detailed and scathing report. Um, I don't want to go into the details, but it is just like I said, it's just a, you know, one uh, says that the grim account accounting follows a similar pattern at schools like the Emma Willard School and Rosemary Hall, which have released detailed reports of wrongdoing activists and lawyers who represent victims of this kind of abuse have said such public accountings are crucial to protecting students going forward and getting some justice for those harmed in the past. And I just think that. All of the conversations that I've seen happening are always around like specific personnel, specific mm. individuals, mm. specific and and not enough interrogation of the systems themselves. I... One of the things that really came out as I confronted this stuff that happened to Emma Willow when I was there, and, and to be, to be, uh, honest, none, nothing happened directly to me, but certainly to friends of mine, to people that I knew. Um, and there was a general atmosphere of just like, this was normal behavior. Yeah. And not just that it was normal behavior, but there was more, m- much more, I think, dangerously, there was this very, um, palpable, uh, culture that was like, what happens here stays here. We don't tell your parents anything. You don't tell your parents mm. anything. We handle everything here. And this notion of like, nah, what happens up here doesn't have anything to do with your parents. It was most definitely framed as a like, OK, you're more mature than your peers at home. So you can handle these things. But we're still talking about 13 to 17 year olds and in our case, girls that um, were in no position to be so cut off from their um, parents and also being told to not yeah. share anything that happened there with their parents. And,
1: and it's interesting you say, you bring that point up. I hadn't thought of this analysis in this way, but, uh, whenever you had talked about high school and your experiences and just, you know, the student bodies and all these sort of things, this, you're more mature and, you know, what stays here goes here, whatever. There were very many open, Relationships between students at the, at the campus. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not saying anything about it being LGBT. Just call it a relationship between right. students. Mm-hmm. That's not allowed at almost any other high school. And it's a boarding high school, you know? What like, do you
0: mean? People can't be in relationships um, in high school? Not, I don't n- think not that's in, that's re- true.
1: not, no, not in relationships. I'm talking like you all had people that were like staying the night in each other's dorms overnight and stuff. Sure. And that I think, I don't know. I just think that's that, that always struck me as, very progressive in, in its maturity model. Yeah. But it makes a lot more sense with what you've just said, like, well, what stays here is here. Yeah. And if you're going to have a, a sense of that, you can't really like pick and choose, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think that there's part of It's like, you know, the parents are definitely in this like bubble of like, Oh, my child is at this great yeah. school. It, did Everything's you, well, you just wonderful there. Th- that's the analogy you know. I'm looking for.
1: What do you, do you think? And I know, okay. Like, I'm just going to say it. Like there's stories where there's like a bed check and one of the bed check people comes in and is like, oh my God, it smells like pussy in here, right? Like there's definitely like, and I'm, again, I'm not having any qualms but do you think parents Knew that their kids maybe like what was the story they heard? Oh, you know, oh she's got a relationship with so and so versus oh she has a relationship and she spends the night in her room every night.
0: Well, I think it's like tricky because what happens a lot of times is like a lot of students are legacy students and so their mothers <laughs> went to to the schools or their parent their father went to the school went to boarding school and it becomes kind of a like well they had all these freedoms so huh. I expect my child to have the same experiences that I had. But now
1: you guys are one of the most rebellious classes they've had in a long time like i don't like we didn't
0: really do anything that bad like honestly i'm i'm uh, we it was rebellious in the context of like what we could do but like in reality it was nobody was doing anything that rebellious but i i think that yeah i just think that they're they're this level of like just confronting what's okay to put on children and what isn't and i think that those are the types of conversations that i would like to see come out of all of these school reports because it can't just be oh let's take a account of what happened let's you know uh do some more education because even the education i've seen happening is very like stranger danger focus and very like you know i don't think it interrogates the structure
1: well at and, all and the the sim- you put these two the Catholic school and the Hotchka school together. Uh, and there's obvious, obvious similarities, but the sort of pass the trash mentality and capability that as a, as a, you know, innocuous, uh, not, not, uh, uh, insular unit, the Catholic diocese and these private schools can do. Yep. Right. Like the individual that, that abused someone at your school went on to get jobs at multiple other schools and abuse multiple other young women and at all of them get either like letters of recommendation or not have basically any of this travel with them
0: yeah there was this just this we protect our own and also you know it was very normalized like teachers that were married to former students and uh you know all of this kind of stuff that like really when you look back it's like that shouldn't be appropriate at all they were in contact with these Pretty much grooming them, uh, and then married them later. And, and this isn't to interrogate people's marriages, but it's just a, a question of like, what is acceptable socially here? Hmm. What, what does this culture accept as normal and normalize? And it's, it seems super normal when you're in it. I, I can say from myself, like, it seemed super normal for people to be literally having relationships with our teachers, even though we were teenagers, because it was like, oh, we can handle it, or it was definitely built as like, oh, that girl is the problem. Like it, it was very like just unhealthy. And those are the things that I don't think have ever been interrogated. They continue to not be, even as uh, alumni push for, for differences to be made. The, the structure still upholds this, you know, I would say, um, you know, inappropriate, uh, level of autonomy for, for these young people. So.
1: And I think there's, there's another word in there, like assumed autonomy. Because yeah. it's not just that they're giving it. It's like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to push it on you.
0: Yeah. In in
1: some ways, in the wrong way. Okay. Uh Let's move on. So this article, uh, I hadn't read, but it says, uh, it's like having a target on our back. Mm. Black Italians face surge of racism let loose by Matteo Salvini. Yeah. Uh, so this is something the new uh arm of the new- uh, I think he's
0: a new deputy prime minister there, I want to say. But um yeah, uh'. Well, I can read a little piece of it if you want. Yeah, I on. read it. Uh, human rights groups and uh, opposition politicians, including former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi, say a wave of violence has been fueled by Lega leader Matteo Salvini, whose xenophobic rhetoric has gi- has been given a more powerful platform since he took over as deputy prime minister and interior minister in Italy's new government.
1: Um, so the, the white nationalism xenophobia that is uh, started in with Brexit and you're yep. started, but we've been hearing more yep. about because of Brexit in Europe is also now uh, happened in uh, Italian uh, parliamentary elections right mm-hmm. absolutely
0: okay. it's happening all over Europe uh, we're seeing it and I think it's it, this article is really interesting it talks to several black um it's black italians where they talk about you know i thought if i was educated if i had a good job i was safe and it's really not true at all you know they they realize now that they're they're in danger and there's this other thing that i think is so similar to what we are seeing here in this country listen
1: the rhetoric's identical salvinian says he's only against illegal immigrants yeah. who he views as dangerous and a drain on italians uh, italy's resources opponents say his rhetoric has unleashed yeah, that's, that's the same thing same illegal thing. immigrants mm-hmm. drain on resources
0: yeah, the, this young woman, um, uh, Michelle Francine Nogomo, who is a 30 year citizen of Cameroonian descent. She said she was racially abused while riding her bike, um, to the supermarket one afternoon, uh, unprovoked. A woman in her 50s began hurling uh, abuse at her, calling her a bastard Negro and telling her to go back to her own country. She's lived in Italy for 20 years. She runs Milan's Afro Fashion Week event. And she said that, uh, there's always been an element of racism towards Black people in Italy, but that racists seem to have been, To have been dramatically emboldened by the new government. "Quote: Before it was, I'm racist, but I don't want my neighbor to know I'm racist because they'll judge me. Now with the new government, they think they have the right to be racist." So I actually put this on here because I thought this. Literally, it's just like the same, same, same everywhere. Um, which is just really disturbing. Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: and so and that they've that you know this they like to say it's only illegal immigrants, but it's the it's just black it's brown yeah, skin and it happens it's, everywhere i yeah. mean i think
0: that, that you know the country's racial politics have lagged behind many of their western peers um even in 2018 black footballers complain of italian fans making monkey noises yeah. at them on the pitch and all sorts of different things but i think when you see this brazen um politicized politis of issues. Um, critics say this is from the uh, Vice News article um, has added a veneer of legitimacy to deep-seated prejudices and emboldened racists to act more assertively. Uh, Andrea Costa, uh, coordinator of Babo, uh, experienced a large transit camp for uh, migrants in Rome says racists feel they would have no problem in cursing migrants in the street or doing things like that until a few years ago everybody in Italy would be ashamed to do those things. Now it seems everybody can say whatever he wants.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. So this is a, an individual before the election uh, went on a shooting spree yeah. uh, and targeted exclusively Africans. Draped himself uh, as he was turned into police with a Italian flag, uh, screaming "Italy for Italians," giving a fascist salute. He was a Lega candidate in the local body elections.
0: Yeah, wow, sounds familiar. Since white supremacists are winning I, GOP know, primaries all over the place here, everyone
1: and you, you know you'd hope that, that it'd be we'd be easier at at seeing these obvious dog whistles for what they are, you know, but.
0: Well, I mean, I think this, this dude is like leaning all the way into like, yeah, he's really leaning And let's be, let's be quite frank. Some of these tweets by uh, y'all's president
1: <sighs> for sure. Sound just like yeah, Hitler. So I don't really like, he's already retweeted. Like actual, like fascist, like, Literally like conspiracy blogs and all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, moving on, a uh, Jamaican doctor answers Call of Duty on American Airlines flight. Now, this story is really good. Dr. Tanisha um, Davis, uh, there was a passenger in dis- distress and she jumped to the passenger's aid. But this article is written because uh, it's from Loop, Jamaica. So I'm going to read the whole thing because it's it's not that long. Wait, wait, who it? Is it in the Gleaner? It's no. in Loop Jamaica. It's, Loop, a, it's an online okay. um, Jamaican form. Okay. As the American Airlines flight hurtled Thursday morning past Cuba on its way to Miami, there was a frantic plea from an older woman. Is there a doctor on board? Her male companion, a white-haired septuagenarian, had fainted in her arms and she feared the worst. Is there a doctor on board? She asked again, louder this time. The flight attendants registered the note of warning her voice and scuttled over quickly. A 30-something-year-old lady was the first to come over. She admitted that she wasn't a doctor but was proficient in first aid and CPR. She asked for a plastic bag and immediately a scandal bag was, uh, was handed to her. For those who don't know Is it a that's bag? What, no it's, it's just a plastic bag But we call it scandal bags It's like the red, The plastic bag you get At the store But it, Jamaica it's called A scandal bag Okay Scandal Anyways uh, The passengers were now Very concerned The man was clearly In distress And then A quiet unassuming Young woman With mocha skin And sharp delicate features Appeared She was wearing A Bob Marley jumpsuit With red green and gold stripes Emblazoned on the arm And with a shock Of kinky black hair On her head Like a halo She appeared Like an angel Sent from on high <laughs> This is
1: the greatest Article <laughs> the description ever
0: <laughs> she immediately took charge of the situation asking for a blood pressure cuff to ascertain the man's blood pressure and ordered the attendants to get an oxygen tank to assist with the man's breeding we are close to Cuba but we cannot land and we are at least an hour from Miami a flight attendant said passengers began heads began to swizzle no one wanted to be part of a bona fide medical emergency at twenty thousand feet but the good doctor dr tanisha davis was unperturbed she checked him thoroughly with the assistance of his wife and was able to stabilize his blood pressure after realizing that it was low then she administered aspirin she sat with the couple the remainder of the flight chatting with them about fainting spells the importance of being hydrated given the searing temperature this summer and the danger of salt-free diet putting them at ease with a warm smile and a great bedside manner for the duration of the flight a female Attendant would check with Dr. Davis every so often to give the doctor an update on her own two year old who she had abandoned to answer the call of duty. I was just doing what the situation demanded. I'm a doctor specializing in internal medicine, she humbly told Loop reporter uh, Claude Mills after the situation had been calmed and fears assuaged. Internal Uh, blah 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 the passengers on flight aa 2370 and the elderly couple in seats 27a and 27b were grateful that she just happened to be on the flight that fateful morning so shout out to you dr davis and i just thought that description
1: of her was just yeah i love that they were like she was on point medical but then the description of her she came in with a glowing halo (laughs) beautiful like an angel on high like that's really good so good. That's really good.
0: Get on get on your lube drink. Anyways, I thought that was a good story.
1: That is a very good story. Yeah. Uh, where were they flying?
0: Uh, to Miami, I think. Okay. Or to New York, maybe. But I think they landed in Miami. Right, good
1: mm-hmm. yep. so, uh So I'm going to do the TLDR. One of the largest banks issued an alarming warning that Earth is running out of resources to sustain life. Yeah. So uh, HSBC mm-hmm. uh, issued a, a warning based on uh, some research from the Global Footprint Network about uh, resources we consume and need and what uh, we're... Is there and available to us, and they call it the Earth Overshoot Day, and it was uh, August one. Yep. So August first, we had uh, just seven months into the year, it consumed okay. enough shit.
0: Yep. Oh uh, well, we had consumed we, what, what we need a, yeah, year's, a year's worth. worth, but worth but of now, in shit. comparison, nineteen seventy, we overshot Earth's resources by only two days. It fell on December 29th in nineteen seventy.
1: Yeah, thirty. 40 so you years. think
0: of this; it's been pushed up almost five months since then.
1: Yeah, uh, there's a. I, yeah. I forget the.
0: But, you know, y'all president don't believe in climate change, so... Well, and, and,
1: you know, you and I don't talk about it, but uh, I don't think we're child-free because of, like, zero population growth. That's not, like, our, our jam, you know? Like, But uh, the population growth at some point, mm. it just, like, I forget the numbers, but it's like, there's gonna be, like, a, oh, I think, like, 100 billion people? I don't know. Just, the numbers are very unsustainable. And yeah so yeah there. and more people is always consuming more shit, making more greenhouse gases more more and more, no, more and things so uh, I just
0: thought it was interesting that concept of like just because capitalism is taking note, I think it's really interesting, and it also makes me and you know I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but all of this new like all these rich people trying to like clone get into space and this space shit like low key, I think it's in response to this, and like they're hearing things that we regular shmegula ass people don't hear
1: well i think there's i i saw an article it might have been also on vice about uh rare earth metals Mm. and and there's some locations that you know 80 percent. i think it's china Mm. control a, a very large percentage of rare earth metals that are used in silicone semiconductor all sorts of like really technical stuff uh but that's gonna be an issue
0: yeah, so I saw this article I thought it was interesting. I actually saw it this morning, so I just added it to the notes, which is why hospitals are getting into the real estate business. And I was like, why are they?
1: Getting well, you know, into we lived business? in uh, Grand Rapids, and they own fucking—they call it Medical Mile. Yeah, they own a, an entire section of downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, my hospital stay was uh, at the Pineville campus, and I call it a campus because yeah. it's, you know, a campus. Uh-huh. They, they got buildings. They're They're constructing more shit now so yeah. why are they getting real estate well this is more than just real estate
0: they're actually getting into the housing business uh, a body of evidence points to a link between living in areas of concentrated poverty and health it's something doctors at north Wide children's hospital were seeing firsthand this is in um in cleveland i believe oh no columbus sorry in ohio uh dr kelly Kelleher says it's remarkably frustrating as a physician to see patients over and over again from these very high risk communities, houses that are falling apart, plumbing problems, mold, rat infestation, violence. You see 25 kids a day and maybe two thirds of them are in desperate straits. Um, the impact on kids goes beyond toxic living conditions like mold and lead. The stress of living with violence and trauma, racial segregation and unstable living conditions leads to something researchers called the neighborhood effect. Uh, children are affected by their neighborhood. Kids get trapped inside their apartments. There's a lot of violence outside and then they watch TV all the time. They overeat. They have asthma. Uh, By providing children safe and stable housing and reducing blight in the neighborhood, Kelleher says the hospital hopes to help prevent many health conditions caused by harmful physical and socioeconomic environments. Um, So this actually unbeknownst, I didn't know this, but it's a national trend. It's happening um, across the country. Similar projects are being done in Seattle, Boston, Atlanta, and New York, among others. Um, and it's the, at Boston Medical Center, they're doing a housing initiative. And it's interesting that the, this is one model where a hospital is literally owning and operating housing in partnership with other housing entities. Um, in Columbus, the hospital-led partnership built, built 58 affordable housing units, renovated 71 homes, built 15 new homes, and gave out 149 home improvement grants between 2008 and 2018 with additional grants that also built a 58 unit housing development um, combined with office space. And so it's, Uh, The traditional fee-for-service model where hospitals are reimbursed for each procedure is losing popularity. Instead, states are um, starting to give health organizations lump some money to manage someone in a population. And so this incentivizes them to invest in preventative care. And one way is to give them a healthier place to live. Uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital runs an accountable care organization that covers 300,000 of Ohio's children on Medicaid. Uh, So... They see, it they they're, see con- it. they're
1: outsourcing the Medicaid, and to yep. get the better fucking margins, yep. they're literally having to do preventative medicine now. And it's- specifically, housing, and they mentioned racial segregation. Yep. they specifically financially now. We've talked about this. Yep. When is it? When is that? that when does intended, that needle move? So I know you would like this. And like and I've we, been talking I'm, about and, it forever. And you know what? It's got. It, it makes. I was literally in my mind. I'm like, well, uh, I'm not understanding it. As soon as you said the Medicare group. Uh, managed sort of thing But I, I guarantee you These huge facilities Are looking at Like you said They're looking at long term It's a drain it, It's not just a drain They're making all this money On white people That can afford These right. fucking expensive As yep. services And then these folks They've got to be able to, to take care of At whatever margin They can Right So they've literally Found racial segregation That fucking blows my mind Yeah,
0: yeah. The Co- the Columbus project Cost more than $22 million Um. And uh, Children's National The hospital share Was $6.6 million, But the, they believe That the investment Will pay for itself If it reduces The number of hospital visits From members of the Southern Orchard community If we're able to show These improvements in health And reductions in utilization It will be a financial benefit
1: Wow We always That's literally This is one of those Like I don't call it A zeitgeist moment It's interesting That it's happened Via healthcare Because we privatized it And made it so unaffordable For Mm -hmm. fucking Anybody but you know, those with the fucking job, basically, you know. Now, Even of then. course,
0: there is always one. I'll just note many things. The number of murders have gone down dramatically. A high school graduation rate has gone up. The number of emergency room visits, inpatient days, and those specific problems for children has gone down. Um, but of course, you know, neighborhood residents are like, this is great. We see couples. We see families. We see people out at night that we, we didn't used to. It's become a more family friendly place over time. But also there's a concern about gentrification that comes along with this kind of development. Kelleher acknowledges the concern about gentrification, but says the, that since the hospital controls much of the housing, they can also limit price inflation in partnership with the community. Many of the units owned by them, for instance, are cost controlled and only available to low income renters. Uh, they said their aim is for a, a truly sustainable mixed income community. We're monitoring the proportion of Medicaid births, which is a proxy proxy for low income families living in our census tract. So Far, There's been no real decline in that particular number. Um, she says she's optimistic about the project's success, but notes that it is trying to reverse several generations of economic disparities, partly caused by racially motivated redlining, the widespread denial of home loans and other services in predominantly African-American neighborhoods, and it shouldn't be expected overnight. 80 plus years of divestment in housing and other services is not going to be turned around by eight years of affordable housing job creation and other community benefit work. So anyways, I just thought this was really interesting because we talk about this all the time about like, when does it become financially um, worth worth investing in preventative care? And we have apparently reached
1: that point. I'm literally though, just like thinking of what we're now, just call what this hospital is doing. Generally, Mm. it's not totally analogous, but it's kind of like a social welfare safety net and the new deal was a lot like a social welfare safety net, but it was prevented from, from black folk. Right. And we've seen, like you just said, 80 years of housing, you know, uh, redlining and, and disparate uh, uh, rates and, and mortgages, all these things that have barred black folk from the housing market, that outcome, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of outcomes, but you know, we're not talking about generous wealth. We're talking about health. Yeah. That outcome is now being taken care of by a privatized of Medicare, Medicaid services. Yeah. I just like blows my mind that the government like we we locked you and black folk out from this shit. And now that there's consequences that are finally materially costing a, a, an institution like a hospital, they're seeking to rectify it. Yeah. that just blows me away. Wow. Well,
0: that's capitalism for you. White people, <laughs> I get bullied in school, I can't wait till I'm a cop so I can bully you, white people. Hey, 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 hey,
1: white people. God damn it, fucking, fucking white, white people. people. So uh, this, this individual uh, is very excited about uh, Pepper, so oh, he yeah? gets unmuted.
0: Why isn't it playing? Oh, dang it. Do you want me to play? Yeah, can you? Yeah. Because I got my headphones broken. I can do it. Let's see here. Okay.
1: Yes, Are you seasoning the chicken beforehand? We seasoned it a little bit beforehand when it went in the pan originally. Should you always season chicken? Because I went for years not doing it and it's not quite bland. And then suddenly someone's like, put some peck on it and it changed everything. (laughs) 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 That laughing was the individual that recorded this from the Food Network for us. Should
0: you always season chicken? My dude! (laughs) Yes, it's
1: Elias Food Bay. Elias underscore. Food oh bay. my
0: god! I love
1: that he admits. Like, well, I went years without using pepper. Of Changed my she life. Did.
0: Of course you did.
1: Pepper. Pepper. Yeah. And just the question: Should you always season chicken? Sir. I just- sir and He's i'm not, not even going to this also has a video but i'm not going to bother playing it because yeah. it's clickbait but it says man in airport meltdown uh speaks in his own words that's what it, that's what it said so i go to like ktov's like channel like 11 whatever mm-hmm. and they sent this they sent a poor young reporter out to the airport like hours after the dude's meltdown and i'm not we don't need to play it because it's ridiculous but it's the one where he screams you're treating me like a fucking black person yeah. <laughs> like you're treating me like, like a fucking, fucking black, black person. person. Look, it's happening. I can't believe it. Like, yeah. it's hilarious. Like, Will Ferrell's meltdown, I guess, is what we're calling it. I guess. Um, uh,
0: let's uh, skip to pest control because we spent a little bit too much time on this other stuff.
1: Well, I'll just say his his own words was clickbait. It was the cops saying that he said he did it on purpose to cause a big scene. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's always true. the that like, honestly, like, I feel like as a white person, like, if you get caught doing something embarrassingly white, they like the defaults like I meant to do it. But like, how is it better? Like, like like wait a minute, like wait a second, wait, you meant to do it? Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, uh huh. Okay. Hmm.
0: Anyway, so no, I said go oh, to pest that? control. Oh, we don't have time for that. I don't that play stuff. that music. That's you. Oh wait, I forgot. That is me. Wait. Boom!
1: Boom! Boom! We gotta make us. I gotta record that for us. Do my yab. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I wanted to talk about this. I'm only going to do one of these two stories, so I'm going to do one about this goat. So, rogue goat may have helped dozens of farm animals escape. Some people may remember we did an episode, we talked about a woke ass cow. Right. And now we have an extremely woke goat. Uh, a dozen, his name is Fred. Dozens of goats and sheep <laughs> brought for slaughter escaped a New Jersey livestock auction Wednesday night, and the facilities manager believes another goat who had bolted to freedom more than a year ago, helped them make their getaway. Uh, It took police hours and locals to herd it took, took an hour for police and locals to herd about 60 of the livestock back to their pens. They think 10 or 20 more are believed to still be on the loose, by the way. Locals jokingly pointed the finger at another goat nicknamed Fred that escaped from the same auction uh, market more than a year ago and sporadically pops up around town. In fact, cops received reports that Fred was in the area a couple of hours before the escape. On Thursday afternoon after the escape, Fred showed up at the facility and headbutted the gate, Holding newly corralled animals, multiple ties in an effort to apparently let them back out. Now, they had when they re-secured them, they put a rope that tied them in, which wasn't there originally. Um The uh the manager managed to shoo him away, but the sighting made him suspect that Fred was also behind Wednesday's escape. Quote, it was him last night. I think he's the culprit. He must have banged that fence and let him out uh last night. I'm almost positive he must have put a lot of force into that.
1: So he he broke free like the woke ass cow that yep. swam to an island by yep. himself. Yep. But uh, see, he he was able to stay in the area.
0: Yep, manages he's, a he's escape all year. The streets just there's being the, a
1: goat. There's a picture of him in like a parking lot, just Yo, like hooping it around. Chilling. Yeah, he's got like a a beard and everything. <laughs> Fred goaty. the goat. And so he sees some of his 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 brethren. Yep. No no goat left behind. No goat
0: left behind. He wasn't playing. Yeah. No so goats he, free till he we're all free. It. He knew the yeah. gate wasn't tied originally because usually I guess they weren't normally tied, and he just headbutted Snacked it, it open. and opened it and let them all out. And look, ten to twenty of them are still out there. So look at you, Fred.
1: Shout L- out. New Jersey's got a <laughs> population of goats now. I fucking love it, dude. Woke oh, goat. Woke goat.
0: That's right. Woke goat. No um really. Uh, lastly, we usually talk about like TV, movie, all that stuff we're watching. I am watching iZombie, which I think has been on for quite a few years, but I didn't get to watch it, so I'm watching it. I think I'm in season two. I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on a graphic novel um, series, and I'm enjoying it. It's kind of campy and Is fun. Is she still a
1: medical examiner that eats brains or whatever? Yep.
0: Okay. Absolutely. Crime solving, and, crime solving and all that. And we also been watching Castle Rock. How have you been enjoying that? Oh, I do. I like it. Yeah. It's definitely been good. I think it's...
1: Um, the dude that played pennywise which
0: yeah you know i was listening what's his to name? uh one of the scars guard yeah, i can't remember he's which creepy. one i think it's bill um i ha- have been listening to podcast fandom's review of uh castle rock their their uh recap and one of the things they mentioned is that so many of the people on the show have been in other Stephen king um pieces um which i think is really interesting hmm. so like That guy was in it. Uh, Sissy Spacek obviously was in Carrie. Like if you go through a lot of these main characters have been in other Stephen King productions of different sorts, which I think adds like another layer because it's sort of to me, it's kind of like an anthology of Stephen King's world. A lot of stuff overlaps, like some of it takes place at Shawshank, all of these different things. Um, And so, yes, I think it's pretty interesting.
1: I I like basically where it's going Mm -hmm. and I. Excuse me. I like the actors in it, and yeah. the, uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the sissy SpaceX? I uh, says, "Is it sissy SpaceX?" No, sissy SpaceX is the the mom. The mom the who, who plays the, the the boyfriend, new husband?
0: Oh, um, I think it's Sam? Scott. Scott, what's his name? Glenn? No, that's not his. Name. Well, whoever he is, I
1: like that guy. He's doing a good job. And, uh, I
0: know Andre Holland is the the main character, of the um the Cessy's uh, adopted son, and it is he I was like right, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn. Yeah, Lord, yeah. I can't believe I remember it's that. Good on you. Good on. Yeah, but like it is Bill Skarsgård and I think the other person I think has been really doing a great job on there is um Melanie Linsky who plays Molly on the show. She's uh kind of yeah. clairvoyant a bit. Yeah, and, uh, that I I've seen her in lots of different things, and this is a, definitely a different role for her. I think she's doing a great job, so definitely recommend that it's on that it's on hulu it comes one episode a week so if you like to binge stuff wait a few more weeks because yeah it's kind of irritating having to wait each week um but it's, whatever,
1: uh, you know there's some things i think that are better binged like you get more from the binge because you see pieces that you don't doing it week to week i don't know if this is the case with castle rock what? It's, it's, it, there are some products I think are better viewed in a binge because you can pick up subtle things from episode to episode that you wouldn't remember over right. the course of 15 weeks in, yeah. a, in a, se- a season but I don't think Castle Rock's one of those
0: yeah because I also the things take place in a very short period of time so I feel like and there's also like this like they do some flashback stuff too um, yeah. so it's interesting but we'll, I don't I don't know what's going on but I'm interested to we, I need
1: some new movies we, I feel like I haven't seen much good movies
0: I don't know if they Well it's coming up to fall So there'll probably be Some new stuff out soon
1: Yeah mm-hmm. Okay
0: I think that's yeah. it That's, that's it. it? Yeah Nothing. That's it That's it well, You got anything else?
1: <laughs> <laughs> High five <laughs>